0: you guys are in a turkey coma this morning, aren't you? Man, listen, if I could have survived being the pear tree, you can survive the turkey, okay? Some of you may get that, some of you may not. But I think that was backwards, Daniel, just to be honest with you, buddy. I think I should have been the partridge. But anyways, I'm so glad to see you guys this morning. If you're joining us on live stream, thank you so much for being a part of our worship service. You know, as we continue to talk about the Lottie Moon Christmas offering, as we just watched that video, um, the beautiful thing about the Lottie Moon Christmas offering is that 100% of everything you give goes to the missionaries. This is not uh, an offering that, you know, you have to worry about 20% of it getting lost in administrative costs or anything like that. Our church has a goal of $10,000. I think we're well on our way to meeting that goal and even exceeding that goal. Um, We'll keep that open, I think, probably through mid-January or something like that. So continue to pray about how God might ask you to be a part of what these missionaries are doing all over the world, um, just like that, uh, the witch doctor there who gave her life to Christ and how that freed her and set her free. There's people like her all over this planet who need to hear about Jesus. So just be a part of that, like we talked about last week, of supporting our missionaries, loving our missionaries, and making sure they have all the resources they need to continue to do the great work of the Great Commission, which is reaching all nations with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. So today, the day after Christmas, I can honestly say you are the, the few and the proud, okay? If you come to church the day after Christmas, you're, you're a special group of people, for sure. Not that those of you who are sitting at home uh, snacking on leftovers are not, but you guys are special, for sure. You are like the uh, United States Marine Corps, you're the few and the proud. So th- thank you for being here this morning. This is actually a really good crowd, um, but next year is going to be the real test, you know, next year we're gonna have Christmas on Sunday. And guess what? At Pole Creek, we're gonna meet Christmas Day on Sunday, December the twenty-fifth, two thousand twenty-two. So go ahead. Go ahead and get ready. And I don't want it to be a as sparse as crowd. I want you to be here because the reason for the season is the Lord Jesus Christ. And we want to continue to worship him and lift him up above all. And I appreciate that worship set, Daniel. That was Definitely glorifying to our Savior so this morning I want to talk about membership and we're church membership and we're still in our series Wisdom for a New year and I think it's very important if we are going to be a church that reaches our community and world for Jesus, we have got to understand what church membership looks like what is biblical church membership? Is it you know what we see in America today? Is it biblically different than what we understand it to be? what does membership look like at Pole Creek and what does The elder team and the church at large expect from its membership here at Pole Creek. I think we're in a day and age where people join a church and they think, well, I'll be on the roll until the day I die, whether I show up or not. Well, if you've read Pole Creek's bylaws, that's not the case here at Pole Creek. We have a a process that we go through that says if you're not going to be an active member at Pole Creek, that there's going to be a process that we go through that could potentially remove your membership um, if you're not going to be a member. What good is membership if you never show up? What good is membership if you don't serve? What good is membership if you don't contribute to the ministries? In other words, you're just a name on a roll, and in reality, that's meaningless, right? So what does the Bible say? Well, as we go through the book of 3 John, and we're actually in that last passage before the end of 3 John, this is the last series, or the sermon in our series, Wisdom for a New Year, a look at church membership. So if you will, go ahead and turn your Bibles to 3 John. We're going to begin in verse 9, and we're going to read verse 9 through the end of the book. If you guys want to go ahead and turn there, I'll give you a quick moment to do that. And then once you've found your place, you're welcome to stand to your feet as we read God's Word and honor His Word, because His Word is truth, amen? All right, so starting in verse 9 of the book of 3 John, the Bible says this, "'I wrote something to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to have first place among them, does not receive our authority.'" This is why, if I come, I will remind him of the works he is doing, slandering us with malicious words, and he is not satisfied with that. He not only refuses to welcome fellow believers, but he even stops those who want to do so and expels them from the church. Dear friend, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. The one who does good is of God. The one who does evil has not seen God. Everyone speaks well of Demetrius, even the truth itself, and we also speak well of him. And you know that our testimony is true. I have many things to write to you, but I don't want to write to you with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon, and we will talk face to face. Peace to you. The friends send you greetings. Greet the friends by name. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Lord, thank you for the Apostle John, who was faithful to write these inspired words down by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and the leading of the Holy Spirit, Today, God, as we look at church membership, I I pray that we would look at Diotrephes and Demetrius, God, and even Gaius, as these three men are mentioned in this book, about what kind of church members they were, um, what you say about them, what you say about their character, what you say about their faithfulness or their lack thereof. And God, I pray today that we would see that, that we would allow it to be applied to our lives, and God, that we would strive to be the church members you've called us to be. Lord, that we would not only seek to be served, but we would serve. And Lord, that we glorify you in doing so, reflecting your glory in our lives. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So many of you who have business degrees or have studied in business classes throughout the years, you're probably going to know what the Pareto principle is, Pareto principle. And what that is, is it's basically, it was come up with an economist named Vilfredo Pareto, and it specifies that 80% of consequences come from 20% of the causes asserting an unequal relationship between inputs and outputs. And what that means basically is, is that 20% of the action produces 80% of the results. And I think that that is very common even in churches today as we think about what gets done in the local church. How does the local church operate? The finances that come through a local church, the ministry and the service positions that come through the local church. I think it would be safe to say that 20% of Pole Creek's membership does 80% of the work. Would you agree? All right. Now, if you say amen, I hope you're serving somewhere. Amen? So, so 20% of the people do 80% of the work. Now, you think, man, that's kind of lopsided, isn't it? Well, that's why socialism doesn't work, by the way, because not everybody pulls their weight. But in God's house, we would hope that it would be a little different. I'd like to see at least 50-50. You know, 50% does 50% of the work, right? I think that would be very uh, equitable, right? It would be fair. But we don't see that in our local churches for some reason. And I think it's because we don't truly understand what church membership is, what church membership means. What does it mean to be a member of a local church? Well, there's three different things that I want us to see here from this passage of scripture. I want us to see two different perspectives of two different people mentioned in this book. And then I really want us to see something that we all need to be engaging in. So the first thing that I want us to see is this. And if you're taking notes, go ahead and write this down. We've actually got more sermon notebooks ordered that will be here before long, so if you want to grab one of those in a couple of weeks, those will be available. So the first thing is a self-centered perspective, a self-centered perspective. I think a lot of times it's good to know what we shouldn't be or what we shouldn't do because it helps us know what we should be doing. And here in Scripture, in the book of 3 John, the Apostle John, as he's writing, he's writing this letter to this man named Gaius, okay? If you see there in the first verse, to my dear friend Gaius, whom I love in the truth, we don't really know exactly what position Gaius held in the church. He may have been an elder, he may have been a, um, just a lay person who was very influential, or he may have just been a faithful congregant um, who was faithful to God's church. But he was writing to Gaius, and then he starts to give Gaius these warnings about what you should be and what you shouldn't be. Well, he uses this man in the church by the name of Diotrephes as an example of what a church member should not look like, and that's this. Um, have you ever had something, and I'm going to ask you this question, have you ever had something that was just weighing heavy on your heart and you went to someone to talk about it? You know, you you, you trusted this person, maybe it was a, a friend that you trusted or a family member or a pastor or someone in the church or whoever it may be, and as you share and hope to receive some advice or comfort, the other person responds by directing the focus back on themselves. You ever had that situation happen? That's not very encouraging, is it? No matter what you're going through, they are going through something worse. You felt that before when you talked to somebody? No matter what you bought, they have something better. No matter what new piece of information you share, they've already heard it. And actually, they inform you that you're behind everyone else by thinking it was something special. Believe me, I've been there. I've had a few of those in my life. Can you believe that? Those people are operating from a self-centered perspective. You know, even in marriage, the most uh, detrimental thing in marriage is if when you're having a discussion with your spouse... Your purpose for listening to them is waiting for them to stop talking so you can start talking. That's not good in marriage, by the way. You should actually listen to your spouse, you should actually hear what they're saying. Maybe even keep your mouth shut for a little while. You know, that'll work miracles in your marriage. Amen? Who said amen? Uh, Jeff Foster, man, I'll tell you what. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I appreciate that. Amen, Jeff. At least, at least I know everybody's not mad at me, right? <laughs> but no, it's, it's true. And you, get, you come across people who, who operate from a self-centered perspective, and it's always about them. It's always about what they've done, what they've bought, what they can do. And they never will just sit there and shut up. Let's just be honest, okay? They won't be quiet long enough for anyone else to speak, and especially to care about someone else and what they're going through. It's detrimental. And I believe Diotrephes was probably one of these folks. As the Apostle John was using him as an example of someone not to be, listen to how the Apostle John speaks of him and what he's got going on. Beginning in verse 9, it says, I wrote something to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to have first place among them, does that sound like anybody y'all know, does not receive our authority. Now, the Apostle John, he was an apostle. He was called by God. He had seen Jesus Christ in his resurrected body. The Apostle John had some special authority in the first century church. He and a select few others, by the way, there are no modern day apostles. So if you hear of a pastor calling himself an apostle, he is misunderstanding scripture. There are no modern day apostles. Apostles are those men who were called by God who saw Jesus in his resurrected body. The Apostle John being one of them, the Apostle Paul being another one. But here he has the authority to rebuke the church and to teach the church. Well, evidently, Diotrephes was this man who had some clout in this local church that John was writing to, and Diotrephes may have been a pastor, he may have been an elder, he may have been a deacon, or he may have just been someone sitting on the church pew, but he had a lot of influence. So as John is writing these letters to the church, educating them and teaching them about what it means to be a Christian, Diotrephes is basically ripping the letters up and telling the church, we're not going to listen to the apostle John. He's full of himself, and we're not going to pay any attention to him. Because Diotrephes wanted to be first. He wanted to be the one that was preeminent. He wanted to be the one that what he said goes. He wanted to be the man in charge. And he didn't want anyone else threatening his status as number one. He was known. Now, can you imagine? He was known to to have first place among everyone. That's what he loved to do. Verse 10, it says this. This is why, if I come, I will remind him of the works he's doing. Apostle John says, I'm not going to sit by and let this happen. I'm not gonna sit by and let this man who is ruled by greed and pride and self-indulgence to ruin God's precious church. He says, I'll remind him of the works he is doing. And these are some of them slandering us with malicious words, lying about the apostle John and those men God had called. And he's not satisfied with that. He's not just satisfied with ripping up John's letters and and slandering John. It says um, he not only refuses to welcome fellow believers, he won't even let new people, new believers come in who are associated with John, but he even stops those who want to do so. So he's even stopping fellow church members from welcoming John's associates into the church. It says this, he goes to the point of if one of his church congregants uh, associate or bring in one of John's associates, that he would even kick them out of the church, That's to the level and the extent that he was trying to control things and trying to consolidate his power and his influence in the church. He basically cared about his own status and loved to be front and center. He wanted it to be all about diatrophies. You know, he falsely accused God's called men. He lied about them. He said, oh, they're lying. They're just all about themselves. They're just after your money. They're just after this or that. No, you need to listen to me. There's always a problem, by the way, when someone focuses all truth on themselves, that they basically make themselves the sole source for truth. That's always dangerous. Every single cult that you can see in modern-day history starts out with someone saying, only I know the truth, and you can only get the truth from me. That's a problem, unless you're Jesus Christ. That's a big problem. Anytime someone says that, they are in trouble, for sure. And this was Diotrephes and what he was doing to this church. Since he disliked John, he lied about him to others in order to destroy his witness and his testimony. Well, John was definitely the wrong one to mess with. John was actually known as the most beloved of Jesus' disciples. If you read the Gospel of John, which was written by the same man who wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John and the book of Revelation, you find that John even refers to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. He had a special relationship with Jesus. He sat beside Jesus at the Last Supper... John knew Jesus more intimately than any other human being could have in his earthly life and ministry on earth. So the is- issue with diotrophies was that he wanted to increase and he wanted Christ to decrease. He rejected the fellow Christians and didn't even allow others in the church to accept them. And that's a, that's a huge issue. Because listen, just because someone is not a part of Pole Creek does not mean they're not our brothers and sisters in Christ. There are other Bible-believing churches other than Pole Creek, believe it or not. There really are. And I've heard churches do this before, but they'll, they'll pretend like they're the only Bible-believing church in the country. They'll pretend like they're the only ones that have truth and that everyone else who comes in needs to be educated about how Christianity really is supposed to operate. Listen, the Bible is not exclusive. It's not like it can only be given to a few people. God's truth is accessible to anyone who has the Word in front of them. And we can't pretend like we're the only ones who know the truth of God. A lot of us have a lot to learn, by the way, including me. We all have a lot to learn. You can study this book from from the day you're old enough to read until the day you die, and you're still just barely scratching the surface. For any of us to ever think that we don't have anything to learn from someone else it's a big, big mistake. We need to be learners for the rest of our lives, and I believe that's part of the sanctification process of being a Christian, is the more we learn, the more we become like Jesus. The more of his truth we understand, he reveals that to us. Progressive revelation. So right here, John the Baptist in John chapter 3, verse 30, is talking to his disciples. And basically, this conversation comes up between him and his disciples. John the Baptist is who I'm referring to, not the Apostle John. They're two different Johns. But John the Baptist is talking to some of his disciples, and they're saying, Hey, Jesus, the Messiah, the one that you talk about, he's over here and he's baptizing all these people. And people are kind of not coming to us like they used to, to be baptized by you, John. Basically, what do you think about that, John the Baptist? You know, you're probably not okay with that, are you? Because you're not as popular as you used to be. See, John the Baptist at one time, he, he was the deal because people were coming to him in droves wanting to be baptized. And he was preaching the coming of the Messiah. And he was a uh, an interesting person. People wanted to hear him. Well, when Jesus came on the scene and John revealed to everyone that this is the one, this is the Lamb of God, then people started to kind of leave John and they started to congregate toward Jesus. So John wasn't quite as famous as he once was, is what I'm trying to say. And as these disciples are asking John, what do you think about that? You know what John said, John the Baptist? He said, I must decrease and he must increase. John 3.30. John had it right. John had the right heart. Hey, in church membership, you know what we all ought to be saying? He must increase and I must decrease. It needs to be about the Lord Jesus Christ always. Hey, you might have something that you want to do or have something you want done and the church just doesn't embrace it. Hey, don't, don't get mad. Don't get your feelings hurt. Listen, I must decrease and he must increase. Hey, listen, you just be ready to serve the Lord. Love Jesus. Be here to serve and to see people saved. And I'm telling you, none of us are always gonna get our way, always. I promise you that, okay? But we're not here to get our way. We're here to lift up Jesus. And as a collective unit, a unified church, we are moving forward to reach people for Jesus, and that's what we must be about. So as John was getting to the heart of the matter, I think that is good advice for all of us. Diotrephes was not someone who wanted to decrease. So that is that self-centered perspective. If you want a good example of a self-centered church member, go to 3 John and read about Diotrephes. Now, the second thing that I want us to look at, and this is what we should be, if you're taking notes, write this down, it's a Christ-centered perspective. And we see the Christ-centered perspective in verse 11. So right there in 3 John verse 11, we see this. Dear friend, do not imitate what is evil. Now, he's still talking to Gaius. He's trying to teach Gaius. Gaius, you're doing a great job. Just don't be like Diotrephes. As a matter of fact, I want you to be like Demetrius. The one who does good is of God. The one who does evil has not seen God. Everyone speaks well of Demetrius, even the truth itself. And we also speak well of him. And you know that our testimony is true. So, when we think about a Christ centered perspective, in other words, how I view the world is centered on who Christ is and and who I am in Christ and Him being God, Him being God in the flesh. The greatest way, the best way, in my opinion, to figure out if you have a Christ centered perspective is this. When you're making a decision, who is the first person you consider? When you're making a decision, maybe it's a job move, maybe it's a big purchase. Maybe it's a decision uh, that has to do with your children. Maybe it's a decision that has to do with um, your spouse or your family. Who is the first person that you consider? If it's not Jesus, then you are not looking at it from a Christ-centered perspective. Okay. Now, there's a lot of good reasons to do a lot of stuff. There really is. And, and listen, I can come up with a list of, of good reasons why I should do something. But just because I come up with a list of good reasons does not mean that's what Jesus wants for my life. And if I'm not looking for a Jesus-first perspective, then sometimes we're going to miss God on things. Sometimes we're going to go out on a limb and we're going to do something based upon our own wisdom. You know, a lot of times even when we look at financial situations, you know, numbers don't lie, right? And we think, well, man, this is definitely a better financial um, move for me to make than what this would be. But have you ever thought about Jesus? I mean, I know the numbers add up, and that's fine. But sometimes Jesus doesn't work inside of our boxes of math and our boxes of reason and our boxes of logic. Sometimes Jesus' will is different. Sometimes it goes above and beyond what we expect, and we always tend to limit him because we're not looking at it from a Christ-centered perspective. So many people make poor choices every single day, you know, and you try to warn them of the right way. You try to warn them to be patient. You try to warn them to be still and, and pray and seek God, and they go out and they do it anyways. And then they regret it. And the problem is, poor choices are not just something you can do and forget about a lot of times because they carry consequences. And consequences are a natural result, a natural effect of a sinful world. Consequences are something that we can never get rid of. Jesus will forgive you for your sins. Don't get me wrong. You can be saved from the uttermost. You can be saved from the most vilest of sins. The Lord Jesus can forgive you. But those consequences don't go away. They are always there. And sometimes the poor choices we make because we're not looking at life through a Christ centered perspective follow us for the rest of our lives. And we pay for them for the rest of our lives. It all goes back to how can I make choices that are going to benefit the Savior? And when they benefit the Savior, guess what? They benefit me. And there's actually a book by John Piper, it's called Christian Hedonism. And it's a different way to look at Christianity in a lot of ways. But if you do things that are best for God, it will automatically be best for you. Now, that shouldn't be our heart's motivation for doing things. Ultimately, we do things because we want God to be glorified. But it equates. When God is glorified and blessed, then God looks out. But the best happens in our lives. Now, I'm not saying you're rich. I'm not trying to preach a prosperity gospel. But I am saying this. The peace of God is more precious than any amount of money that you can have. If you're somebody who likes to lay your head on your pillow at night and go to sleep and not have to worry about the decisions you've made, or not have to worry about the results of your actions. Do what God wants you to do. Look at life through a Christ-centered perspective, and just make a commitment to God. God, from now on, when a big decision comes my way, I want to consider you first. This portion of the letter would have been mainly a warning to Gaius, and an encouragement to him. Essentially, Gaius, listen, you're doing great, don't stop. Don't imitate what is evil. Did you see that? I think that is an excellent verse for us all to keep in our hearts. Verse 11, dear friend, do not imitate what is evil. In other words, don't do bad stuff. Imitate what is good. Don't imitate what is evil, but what is good. Now, how do we know what is evil and what is good? How do we know what good is? I mean, the world tells us what's good. The world would say that just following your heart is good, that just being happy is good, that just pursuing your dreams is good. But what is really good? Do we listen to the world when it comes to morality? No, we listen to the word of God. The word of God says what's good is being a child of God. The word of God says what's good is serving him. The word of God says what's good is knowing him and being holy. The word of God gives us all of these things that we should obey in morality. God's word is truth and God's word should be the definition of where we find all morality Demetrius was the example to follow. Even Paul said it's okay to follow someone else's example. Now, it's bad to follow the example of someone who's not living for God. And that's why young people, even adults, I always implore you, do not have close friendships with lost people. And the reason I say that is not because we want to isolate ourselves, but because you don't want to make yourself vulnerable to lost people. You don't want to invest your emotions and your feelings and your deepest, most difficult, challenging times into the hands of a lost person who's gonna give you poor advice. Now, we do need to have friendships with lost people for the purpose of winning them to Jesus. And we need to love them and build those relationships as far as that goes, but not to have those close relationships. So there's some people you don't wanna imitate, there's some people that you don't want to make yourself vulnerable to, but there's others that you do There's others that you should imitate. There are people at Pole Creek that you should imitate. And those are those who have a Christ-centered perspective. Even John said this, I'm sorry, Paul said this in Philippians chapter 3, verse 17. He said, join in imitating me, brothers and sisters, and pay careful attention to those who live according to the example you have in us. In other words, listen, you can follow our example. He was talking about the apostles and church leadership because we are living for Jesus. We're going to be examples for you to follow, which really puts a a burden on those who are being followed because they need to be careful that they don't set a stumbling block for those who are following them. And I think that's important for us to know as well. Everyone has a following. Each and every one of you are being watched by at least one person who looks up to you and who values you and who um, really appreciates you and wants to be like you. And with that understanding, it comes with kind of a burden in that we need to be careful how we're living in front of those who are watching us. Everyone who has children, guess what? Your kiddos are watching you. And, and I'll be the first to say that I've made mistakes in front of my kids that I wish I hadn't of. But listen, we have a following. And it's okay to imitate those who have a Christ-centered perspective. We're going down. It says that uh, Demetrius had received a good testimony from everyone. Wow. Can you imagine a Baptist church member who's made everyone happy? Can you imagine? He probably hadn't made everyone happy, but everyone respected him, right? Because it's impossible to make everyone happy. Amen? Amen. That's right. So whenever you go through, it says, everyone speaks well of Demetrius in verse 12. Man, he had one of those blameless, John Caldwell, I think you talked about that not too long ago, a blameless reputation in his church and in his community. Someone that everyone could count on and rely on to be the man of God that is going to be faithful to the word of God and to the house of God. And Demetrius had received a good testimony from the truth itself. In other words, it wasn't just the opinion of a bunch of people that Demetrius was a man of God. But when you compare Demetrius' life to what the word of God says a Christian ought to be, Demetrius lined up well with God's truth. The Bible testified to the fact that Demetrius was a good man of God. The apostles added their testimony as well to the fact that Demetrius had served well and is serving well. If you look down there a little bit further in verse 12... Uh, John even says this, and we also speak well of him, and you know that our testimony is true. Even the apostle John knew of Demetrius, maybe even had a relationship with him, and he himself said, yes, I agree and I testify to the goodness of his character and the fact that he loves the Lord and that he has a Christ-centered perspective. So when we think about that, we understand that there is indeed people we can imitate and that we should imitate. And it's those with that Christ-centered perspective. Do you have that Christ-centered perspective? You know, in in verses 13 and 14, we look on down there a little bit further, and there were some other things that were were good, that that the church should be participating in, that John speaks of, and that a Christ-centered perspective is gonna bring you to do the same. In verse 13, he said this, I have many things to write to you. So this is kind of John's farewell address in 3 John. I have many things to write to you, but I don't want to write to you with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon, and we will talk face-to-face. Isn't it amazing that even with today's technology, even with FaceTime and Zoom, even with text messaging and all the other communication channels that we have, there is still no better way to communicate than face-to-face. Still no better way. Communicating face-to-face is an element of human interaction that we should never forgo. Even in the age of COVID, even in the age of technology, do not stop interacting with your brothers and sisters face to face. It's important for you. And if you're going to have a Christ-centered perspective, you are not going to drop that aspect of your life so easily. The Bible is very clear that it is important, and even the Apostle John here, as he comes off complimenting Demetrius and saying, this is how a Christian ought to live, and this is who we should imitate, he says, I desire to come to you so that we can speak face-to-face, that I can encourage you face-to-face so that we can catch up and we can spend time as brothers and sisters. You know, one verse that I have held on to through this entire pandemic crisis is Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25. And the Bible says this, not neglecting to gather together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other and all the more. Did you hear that? He's saying, listen, don't forsake meeting together as a body of believers, as a matter of fact, all the more you should not forsake it as the time is drawing near. He says, but encouraging each other and all the more as you see the day approaching. And I believe we do see the day approaching today. Now you may you may say, Ben, I've been hearing that for years, whatever. But there's no denying that this world is becoming more and more wicked. There is no denying that people are turning their backs on God more and more today. There's no day in history that there's more of an anti-Christian attitude than today. And we're seeing it over and over again. We're even seeing such a blurring of Christianity that people who claim to be Christians don't even know what the Bible says. People who claim to be Christ followers don't even know the Jesus of the Bible. Today, as we see the day approaching, we must even more so not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. It is so important. It is a matter of being face-to-face with your brothers and sisters in Christ. There is an element of encouragement that takes place in the church membership when we meet together. That's why it is so important for you to be a part of a small group, a Bible study group, where you can get in a smaller group of like-minded church members and you can do life with them. You can encourage each other. You can pray for each other. You can help hold each other accountable. Listen, if you're not doing that, you are doing yourself a disservice. You are not understanding what it means to be a biblical church member, we encourage all Pole Creekers to be a part of a small group. Amen? So so when we think about that, we've seen this example of what not to be, that self-centered perspective. And that was Diotrephes. Then we see Demetrius's Christ-centered perspective. And we know that the apostle John is saying, do this, imitate this. But lastly, I want us to look at verse 15 just for a minute. And I want to encourage Pole Creek to be friendly. And I believe That we are in a friendly church, but I believe we've got a ways to go. I want to encourage you to be friendly. Verse 15, as the apostle John is wrapping up this letter to Gaius, he says this, peace to you, the friends send you greetings. Greet the friends by name. How, How does it make you guys feel when someone's unfriendly to you? I mean, it hurts, doesn't it? Obviously, you don't feel wanted. I can still remember even in my past when someone was unfriendly to me. And you know, those are times that you never forget. All of you can probably think back to a time when someone was just mean to you and unfriendly to you. It hurts. Makes you feel unwanted, makes you feel worthless, makes you feel useless. It's it's a sad thing. As a church family, though, here at Pole Creek, we should be known as people who are friendly. I want that to mark us. I want people in the community to say, you know what? I disagree with them. They're a bunch of crazies at Pole Creek, but you know what? You can't deny they're friendly folks. And you can't deny that when you show up at their church, they shake your hands and hug your neck like there ain't no COVID virus. Amen? (laughs) And that's who we want to be. We want to be a friendly and a loving church. When we think about our church vision statement, and I keep saying this because I want this to be second nature to you. Our church vision statement is this, we want to be a church that propels our community and world into an encounter with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we want everything that we do as a church body to go that direction. Everything we do is all about propelling Candler, North Carolina and our world at large into that encounter with the gospel. Now we can't make anyone get saved, but we can sure put the gospel in front of them. We can sure get it to where they hear it. We can sure get it in front of them. And that's what we've got to spend every dime that we have, every resource that we have, use our facilities for, use our volunteer workforce. All the above must be about propelling our community and world into an encounter with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I believe that if we spend every waking moment from here until the end of time doing that, that Pole Creek can stand before God one day and he'll say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. You've done a good job. Amen. So when we think about that, how could we possibly fulfill our vision, though, if we're unfriendly? How can we propel our community into an encounter with the gospel if we don't love people, if we don't show them we want them to be here, if we don't just love on them when they come into our church and on our campus, if we don't care for our community and show them that we care about their struggles and their needs? Listen, we've got to be about being friendly. John considered the members of this local church friends. Did you hear how he addressed them there toward the end? But one thing that he associated with friendliness was this. He called them by their names. He said, make sure, Gaius, that you greet the friends by name. You know, there's something special about greeting someone by their name. And if you don't spend time trying to remember names, listen, you're doing yourself a disservice. Because there's nothing better. I've heard people say this to me before. You remembered my name. Now, I I can certainly say that I've not remembered everyone's names. And I have to ask my wife all the time, hey, so and so just walked in. What, what are their names again? And usually she helps me out. But there's something special about remembering someone's name. When you take time to think about it and, like, wow, they must really care about me. They actually took time to say my name. Amen? It's important. It's, that's what being friendly is all about. You know, one thing that I can say is the, the past few families who have joined our church, one of the marks that they said about Pole Creek is that we are a friendly church. That when people come into our service, they don't feel unwanted. As a matter of fact, they have complete strangers coming up to them, shaking their hands. And I want that to be amplified here. I want you guys to intentionally, every Sunday morning, scan the crowd and look for those unfamiliar faces. And go up and introduce yourself. And I promise you that it will start a culture in this church that will spur growth and will enable us to reach more and more people for Jesus. So John considered them friends. He, he thought it was important for them to be called by name. So Pole Creek today, as we look into 2022, this is our last service of 2021. I'm going to start a series next week about the kind of church that we need to be as we move into the next year. It's going to be called Mission 2022. And we're going to go through the first part of the book of Acts, and we're going to look at the first century church and the birth of the Christian church in the book of Acts and what they did to reach souls for Christ. And I want you to be here for that. I want you to be a part of that. As we had all these um, classes that we're going to be having on Wednesday nights up on our announcement video, we're going to have Evangelism Explosion, which is a class that teaches you how to reach people for Jesus. It is a great way to learn the gospel, to interact with those who are lost. I encourage you, to take that class. We're going to offer that class all year next year, except for the summertime. And our goal is that 50% of our worshipers, our morning worshipers, on Sunday morning will have taken that class by the end of the year. And we want to see it explode and expand. And we want to see as many souls as possible saved in our community next year. And we want to continue to build on that and build on that because we want to take as many to heaven with us as we can when we die. So, if you will, go ahead and bow your heads this morning as we just go into a time of reflection and contemplation as our musicians come forward. I just want you to allow the Holy Spirit to evaluate your heart. It's so important to allow Him in, to allow Him access. This morning, you might be battling a sin that's so easily besetting you, that's robbing your joy, that's hurting your marriage, that's hurting your relationships. The Bible teaches us that he'll forgive you if you confess that sin this morning and turn from it. Hey, this morning you might be here with us and you've never accepted Jesus. You've never trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ as your savior. The Bible teaches us that Jesus is God, that he died on a cross. He took my place and your place, paid the price for our sins. He rose again from the dead, defeating death, hell, and the grave, is sitting at the right hand of God today in heaven as king. He did that for you. The Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And this morning, if you trust in that Jesus, guess what? On the authority of the word of God, you will be saved. Don't leave here today if you don't know for sure. We're going to have some pastors up here. You can come up here for counsel, or you can actually pray right where you're sitting and receive the Lord Jesus as your Savior by asking him to forgive you for your sins and trusting in his death, burial, and resurrection. This morning, you may be a church member, and you may be saying, Ben, I'm not serving like I ought to be. Every member, we ask that you serve in one ministry in this church. Maybe you're not doing that. Maybe you're not answering the calling that God has for you at Pole Creek. Maybe you're not attending as regularly as you should. Maybe you're not giving financially to the ministries of Pole Creek as you should. Today is a day that you can have that new beginning, that you can receive forgiveness from the Lord, and you can become the church member that He's called you to be a church member, just like Demetrius.